Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. This quite indestructible thing, but they can be guided and they can be shaped, I believe. And the reason for this, we said, is because 2020, if you haven't realized it yet, we're still in it three years later, it's still 2020. It's been one of the most difficult, I think, emotion-filled years that we've had in recent memory. Would you agree with that, And so the question is, what do we do with that? What do we do with all of this baggage that's built up in our hearts? What do you do with the shrapnel that's in your soul at the moment? And we said the answer to Dr. Hatfield, as we built up to replanting in 2021, is to reflect. It's to reflect. So we're not going to run away from our emotions and experiences this year. We're going to run right to them. And we said the best way to do that for any Christian, if you want to wrestle with difficult emotional and spiritual issues, we just did some practical reflection in our previous series, and now we're into emotional and spiritual reflection, is the book of Psalms. Why? Because the Psalms are so raw and honest. It scares nice little modern people like us to hear how honest people are. And the reality is that's what happens. Some people say, if you face difficult emotions and circumstances, what do you do? You ignore them. You just put them away. Other people say, no, I don't you know, sidestep my emotions. I surrender to those emotions and circumstances. Whatever I feel at this moment, what happened in 2020, that's now gospel. And you cannot fight with me about it. It's the truth. It's my reality. I live in it. And the Bible says we reject both of those ways. There is a different way where we're not going to suppress our difficult emotions and circumstances, and we're not going to surrender to our difficult emotions and circumstances. The psalm says the third way is we pray our difficult emotions and circumstances in the presence of God. In other words, what do we do? We process and wrestle through and reflect these difficult emotions and circumstances in the presence of God. And so last week we started by just simply asking, how do I stand? How do I stand in a season where everything is falling apart around me emotionally? How do I stand? And today we want to simply ask, how do I question? How do I doubt? And I think last week was all jokes and smiles. Today is a bit more serious. I'm preparing you for that. Because we want to ask the question, what happens when the year like 2020 in ways that I cannot, I don't have the time to lift up every single story today about what happened in your life. But often these little moments and these big moments lead us to a place where if we are honest, we say, God, I'm not so sure that you are actually as good as I used to believe. I'm not so sure. I believe what I used to believe. I'm not sure if you are even there. Life is not good. God is not good at the moment. What do we do? And I want to say that I'm indebted to Tim Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering for Today. So incredibly helpful. But can I just be honest? I've had these moments in life. I shared this in a bit more depth in our Two Crowns series, but I've had these moments in life, as you have had, where it feels like the rug is just pulled right up from under me, and I, you know, I, I stand in a place of doubt, and I say, God, I'm not sure if I believe this because how I feel at the moment, I don't know. You know, I used to love running as a child, as a, as a young man. That was my thing. I was good at it. It was my claim to fame. And then one day I sat in a doctor's office and he told me that we, 
have found uh, this abnormality in your heel bones that you will never ever run competitively again. Just like that. This thing that I found so much identity and security in was gone. My dad, over three decades of his life, built up this incredibly successful business. I'll never forget in the contracting world, one of my teachers once saying, it feels like your parents are building everything in the city at the moment. And it felt like this thing is so solid. All throughout my life, the one thing that will never shift is my parents and their success. And then in my first year at university, you know what happened? Their company went bankrupt and my dad was sequestrated. And we lost literally everything. In my early 20s, I started working for a church, and I was so excited about what we were doing. We were unstoppable, and we felt led. We, we gathered together money, we felt God was saying to buy a piece of property and put up a building. It felt like we were under the hand of God as a church. Everything we touched was turning to gold. And one year to the day that we put up that building, in a freak accident, the whole building collapsed and was destroyed. I'll never forget getting out of my car that morning on that piece of property and feeling like literally my heart has been torn to pieces. We've got three kids and our little child, Benjamin, his, his name means the strength and the authority of God. At age four, we sat in a doctor's office and we heard after a lot of back and forth that our son had been diagnosed with an abnormality in his cochlea, and he is going to have a lifelong hearing loss. And we were devastated. I ask you, in these moments, you have to tell your story. And in 2020, we have stories. What do we do when these doubts arise in our hearts? What do we do with them? And so just for the sake of time, I've got a shortened version. If you want to turn to Psalm 73 today, how we wrestle and process and pray through our doubts. As you're going to pray the psalm in this week, how do we do that? So read with me Psalm 73, verse 1. It says, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Verse 13. Then I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing. For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. That's how our kids feel before they have to go to school in the morning. Verse 15. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all of this, it seemed hopeless. Verse 17, until I entered God's sanctuary, then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrorists. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise the image. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid. I didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. Yet I always am with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterward, you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven 
but you. And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion for you. Those who are from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, so I can tell all about all that you do. Now, you'll see in your Bible that it says here, Psalm 73 is a psalm from whom? From this guy called Asaph. Now, who's Asaph, and why is that important to just our discussion this morning? Listen to this. 1 Chronicles 16 speaks of this man, and it says, King David appointed this man, Asaph, to do what? It literally says here, to give constant praise and thanks to the Lord God of Israel. So he was literally a glorified worship pastor. He was prayed by the nation of Israel to bring constant praise to God. And 1 Chronicles 35 describes this man, Asaph, as King David, as King David's personal prophet. He was his personal minister. It's almost like the Pope today has a personal pastor. I don't know if you realize that, but King David had a personal pastor. It was this man, Asaph. Now, I don't know if you can hear this. Do you find a more religious sounding person than this? This guy is literally paid to worship every single day. He's paid to minister to the king. You do not find a more religious sounding figure than this. This is not the kind of person that you would ever think should have doubts, right? Because we believe that good, religious, spiritual, Christian people never struggle with doubt. Everything is always okay. And yet, it's this very same man that has a whole song dedicated to his doubt in God and in faith. This very same man. And so I want us to see that we're going to take our third way in the Psalms again today. We are not going to suppress the doubts that you have from the Spirit. We are not going to surrender to those doubts either. We are going to wrestle, process, pray those doubts in the presence of God. And how does this Psalm guide us to do that? Three things. It shows us with regard to doubt. The condition, it shows us the cause of doubt, and the cure. So first up, the condition of doubts. Read with me in verse 1. It says, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in the heart. But as for me, you can put your name maybe in there today, with your own story, my feet almost slipped. Now, you don't talk about your feet slipping if you're walking on you know, a flat surface like this. You might say, you know, I stubbed my toe, or I kind of, you know, fell over my own feet if you're a bit clunky like I have been very often. No, it's when you are in uncertain terrain that you say my feet slip. If you climb in something, a mountain or a ladder, if you're on, on rocky terrain, your feet might slip. But he says there, not that he actually slipped and fell. He says, I almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. So what you have here is a picture of someone who is on the edge, kind of teetering. This person is feeling dizzy. This person is experiencing vertigo. It's, it's like I almost fell. I almost slipped. He feels uncertain about himself. And in the Bible, this idea of your foot slipping off the mountain is a picture that the ancient Jewish people used of completely falling away from God, being completely lost into eternity. So this man, this Asaph, this religious man, says, I was in such severe doubts in a season of my life that I nearly completely lost my faith. It was the almost complete destruction of my belief. So what is doubt? Doubt 
is the spiritual form of that kind of dizziness. I'm, I'm experiencing spiritual vertigo. I'm on easy footing. I'll never forget once in high school, they asked, you know, the, the people from Sampras, they were at our school, and they said, does anyone want to come in, in your you know, class time and draw blood? And obviously all the boys, we said, yes, we will make the sacrifice to miss some class and go to the gym and draw blood. It was my first time drawing blood. And so this nice lady said, listen, when you get up afterward, just take it easy for a while. But you, between a bunch, it's like an old boys' school. So everyone's brave, like, yeah, yeah, whatever, it's fine. And so it's on the second floor of the gym, and I get up afterward, I'm going to drink, you know, this little, eat this cookie and drink this thing. I just get up, and I start walking down the stairs. And suddenly, I have this, like, whoa. And my brain is saying one thing, my, my feet, you know, they say something else, and my eyes are, and literally, I fall down the stairs in front of all these guys. There's a lesson in there somewhere, like some spiritual lesson, I'm sure, on arrogance and pride. But that's exactly what doubt is. Doubt is when your eyes, they are observing something in life that your heart cannot process. This just happened. And my heart literally cannot process it. I feel vertigo spiritually from what just happened. That's what doubt is, this picture that it's giving to us. So in verse 1 he says, I thought God was good, but what verse 3? Then I saw something. I saw something. I will get to what it is just a bit later. But it's when something in life happens, I see something in life that my inward being cannot process. There's a death in the family. There's retrenchment. There's something that I thought could never happen. There's a global recession and pandemic, and I see something, and my inward being is in vertigo. What do I do? Now, just before we go into this course, I just want us to speak for a couple of minutes on this idea of what is this doubt actually like? What is the experience of doubt? And the first thing I want to say is, guess what? This passage is saying that everyone experiences doubt. Doubt strikes everyone. You see, very often in our circles we think, if you're a Christian maybe, that doubt is for people who say, I'm not a Christian, I'm outside of the faith, I'm not part of the church. But that's not the truth. The Bible doesn't agree with that. The Bible says that every single Christian over the last 2,000 years has had a season where they felt spiritual vertigo, where they said, I'm unsure of God and His goodness and faith. It can and it does happen to everyone. Maybe you are struck by some sickness. Maybe evil comes into your space. Maybe a, a very cunning and clever argument from someone who's an unbeliever catches you off guard. You're like, wait, that actually is, that makes sense. I'm confused. Maybe you have fallen into sin and you are trying to self-justify the life that you're living. And now I feel the spiritual vertigo. Doubt comes for everyone. And if you are honest this morning, if we're not going to have just nice Sunday school answers for one another in church, we've replaced the smiley church face with the squinty eyes in this season, right? If I just have squinty eyes, everything is fine in my life, you may actually admit that this year brought some deep doubts into your heart. But the second thing, strangely enough, yes, doubt strikes everyone. But the second thing is that doubt has a positive energy in it. Doubt has a positive energy in it. Let me ask you a question. How did we get this song? 
This psalm has given hope to you, it's strengthened, it's picked up millions of people over the last hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in every single culture around the globe. People have found strength in the psalm. And how did we get the psalm? We got it because of doubt. We got it because of Asaph's doubt. So let me illustrate this. Who's the most famous doubter in the Bible? Take a guess. It's in the name. Yes, all the Sunday school people with all the seals, I can hear your answers there. It's in the name. It's Thomas the Doubter. Thomas the Doubter. He's the most famous doubter in the Bible. This guy was a serious skeptic. So what happens? It says Jesus, in John 20, it says that Jesus appears to the other disciples after his resurrection. And they are blown away. They can't believe it. And so they go to Thomas and they say, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. He's alive after his death. And we believe. And what does Thomas say? Listen to this. John 20, verse 25, he says, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into those nail marks and put my hand into his side with his fear piston, I will never believe. He says, that's fine for you guys, but simply seeing Jesus like you did, that's not enough for me. That's a pretty intense ultimatum, don't you think? And so they ask him, okay, so Thomas, what do you want? And he says, that's what I want. I literally want to see those scars and touch them. But when Jesus comes to him, what does he do? Does he scold him? Thomas, you idiot! No. He engages him on his doubts exactly where he is. And when the penny drops for Thomas and he sees Jesus for who he is, what does he say? Verse 28, he says, my Lord and my God. That's massive. A man like you and I that I've just lived with for three years, and now I say of this person, you are my Lord and my God. Every single commentator in the book of John will say that is the loftiest, the highest, the most extravagant statement that any human in all four of the Gospels makes about Jesus. And who is it that makes the statement? The greatest doubter becomes the greatest expresser of faith in Jesus in all of the Gospels. There is a potential for such positive energy when we actually wrestle with our doubts. But we have to do it in the Bible's terms. Because the Bible has such a balanced view of doubt. See, the Bible says you actually have to address the doubts. And we don't like that. We say, no, the one thing when doubt hits me, some people will go like this. They will say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a good believing person. I, I can't doubt. Don't even, don't allow any doubt. I'll just push through. Other people say, no, don't even ask this question. No, not doubting alone. Not questioning alone. Don't even raise these difficult things. Just ignore them. And other people will say, well, this is just, this is not my doubts. And they are there. I can do literally nothing about them. This is not my reality. I'm just filled with doubt. And the Bible comes and it rejects all three of those things. It says no option amongst those three will work. Why? Go back to Thomas and Jesus for a moment. What happens when he encounters them? Does Jesus come to him and say with his ultimate, what a terrible thing. You are a terrible Jesus follower, Thomas. I'm deeply disappointed in you because of these doubts. No. What does he say? 
On the one hand, he says to him, I call you to stop doubting. Verse 27 says, don't be faithless, but believe. So yes, on the one hand, he's calling him to believe. But on the other hand, what does he say? He says, okay, put your hand in these scars. Test this faith. If that was a bad thing to do, why would Jesus have done that? See, it's this balance. The Bible says there is an incredible potential in our doubts for positive energy. And yes, there is an incredible potential in our doubts for sin. And the Bible says the difference is those who take it seriously and wrestle with their doubts. You can actually see doubt taking the good news of Jesus and taking it from head knowledge to life experience and conviction. That's what happened to Thomas. I, I used to know, now I know. That's what can happen. And that's why we should never have a church culture in Oxnard Hatfield where we say, don't ask difficult questions. Don't bring these issues. Just keep quiet. Just believe. Just believe. Just ignore it. Why? Because if we do that, we will set people up for a deep disappointment. Because they will have such untested and brittle faith. You've never had your faith strengthened by doubts that you truly wrestle with. That your faith can only survive on a Sunday when the music is really good. Then I have faith. But in the trenches of actual life, 2020, it falls apart. Now we need to realize that doubt, when dealt with, when wrestled with in the presence of God, can actually strengthen and propel you in your faith. It's almost like saying that, you know, a faith with no doubt is like a body without any antibodies. It's vulnerable. You are susceptible to everything. Friend, listen to me. If you go, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you go all throughout your life too uninterested or too busy to really wrestle with your own beliefs, why do you believe what you believe? If you don't wrestle with those things, you are going to be susceptible to the disappointments of life. You are going to be a sitting duck when someone in your family dies that's close to you, when retrenchment comes, when disappointment comes, or... When someone who's really intelligent tells you something about God that you've never thought of. He brings an argument, he or she, against God and you're flawed because you have a brittle faith. You have an untested faith. You know, my son, Benjamin, just two days ago, all the dads, if you have a son, you'll know every now and then, if your son is so small, there's a moment where he wants to test you a bit. Is that true? He wants to see if the, if the old buck should still be the leader of the home. What do you think? So he wants to test you a bit. Now, baby's like six. So he's not a big guy. And so he, I can see he's poking me a bit. No, he's, he's pushing. He's prodding away. He wants to test me. And so I'm just playing with him. He's playing, he's playing. But you can see he wants to go there. Like, let's actually try this. At the moment that I just turned it on a bit, what does he realize very quickly? Okay, this little body has not been tested like that body has been tested. You realize it very, very quickly. Friends, doubt that you don't ignore and that you don't just simply quickly bow down to, that you actually wrestle with. It can put a strength 
a steel in your spiritual spine like you've never seen. Strong Christians, as we often say, are not people without doubts. They're people that have gone through many, many, many doubts. We have to engage. We have to wrestle with our doubts. But secondly, what's the cause? What's the cause then of this doubt? Read with me verse 3. The psalmist says, For I envied the arrogant. He says, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now there are many, 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 unendingly many things that can cause doubt in our life. Suffering, evil, can be an argument, it can be a, a bit of disappointment. It can be meeting people from other cultures and faiths. So many different things. But for this guy, Asaph, what was it? It was unjust things happening. It was evil. It was suffering. What does he say? Asaph witnessed, this is the background to the song, he witnessed the complete destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. This is full-scale Old Testament rape, pillage, death. This is everything you know wiped out in an instant. So he's had a worse time than our Zoom fatigue in 2020. This man has gone through something devastating. And what does he see? He sees a bunch of self-promoting, ruthless, cunning people, and they are stepping on other people. But what's the result? They are thriving. It's going well with them. Well, that's very nice. This guy is cutting corners on his, you know, his tax returns. This man is living a literally corrupt life. This man is literally getting away with murder. And then he looks at his own people, and he sees people that are just wanting to live generous lives, simple lives, humble lives, and what happens to them? They are getting set on. They are getting knocked down and out. And he says, this is unjust. This is unjust. But the point is what he says, I saw. I saw it. If you want to understand doubt, can I tell you this one? In your own heart. If you want to understand doubt, you have to realize that doubt is never just intellectual. It's never just up here. Doubt, especially in 2020, especially in the kind of westernized world, it masquerades as very intellectual. It's all up here. I have these deeply intellectual doubts, but that's not the full story. If he says, I saw unjust, you know, injustice happening, does it mean that he didn't know there was injustice in the world? No, of course he knew it. What happened? Suddenly that injustice, it hit him on the shin for the first time. And suddenly he says, okay, now I've seen it. This is not right. What happens? Doubt is always, if you are a holistic person, it's more than just up here, it's life hitting you on the shin for the first time. Verse 13, he says, Did I purify my heart and wash my hands of innocence for nothing? For I'm afflicted all day long and punished every morning. He knew about injustice up here, but now he felt injustice for the first time. You see, we think, Christianity has these two opposites, either faith or what, or reason. You're either a thinking person or a believing person. But the Bible never says that. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by what? Not reason, thinking, not by sight. The opposite of faith is not switching your brain off. 
Faith is that I hold on to what I know is true, even when what I see in life attacks everything about me. Even when health and money and injustice in our country or politicians or things in your family or being stabbed in the back by your best friend, when I see things that I knew up here but now I feel it in here, faith is I hold on to those things even when my experience speaks of something different. Now let me give you an example of this. We work with young adults and students for many years. So this story has repeated itself Millions of times. So you have a young student girl, and all of her friends are saying to her, this boy that you're going to go on a date with, he's a womanizer, I'm telling you. The track record speaks for itself. But she goes on the date with anyone. And so what happens? As the evening goes on, she's taken in by this guy. Man, he's smart. He's kind of good looking at He's really nice. He's paying for the bill. What's happening? Is she getting new information? No. But the testimony of the people is being thrown into doubt because I'm experiencing something different. And it's not a fair fight. Why? Because what you know up here is on audio, but this hunk of a piece of meat in front of you in the restaurant, man, he is on video. So what I'm seeing is overpowering what I'm hearing. That's dumb. That's when 2020, things that I used to know, oh, injustice, oh, this retrenchment, the answer thing, then you get retrenched. God, where are you? People dying close to me, but then it actually hits you. Just yesterday, one of the, the young men in our community group, his father just passed away tragically, literally in his sleep yesterday. And as Abby is asking me about this, I'm sitting there, I'm trying to explain to her, because she knows and I'm starting to tear up. It's not because I didn't know this issue. The facts about what happened a half an hour before this, it's hitting me for the first time. His dad, he's a couple of years younger than me, and his father is gone. And doubt starts to sit in. <laughs> doubt is never just intimation. There is a whole life thing happening in your doubts, and that's how we have to deal with it. So, last point. What's the cure? If you have had some shin kicking happening in 2020, and if you're honest, you say, God, it's difficult. What's the cure according to the song? First up, he says, doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts. Verse 3, he says, I envy the arrogant. Do you see that? Not just I saw the arrogant, I envy them. What is he saying, guys? No doubt in the world is 100% honest. Yes, you have deep intellectual questions, but there's much more than that mixed into it. What is he actually saying? He's saying, I knew these people were prospering and it's unjust, but my real issue is I'm not prospering. That's my issue, if I'm honest. I envy them. It's not just that they are making the money, I'm not making the money. It's not just that they're prospering, I'm not prospering. I have to be honest with myself to realize there are things mixed into my doubts that are more than just simply an intellectual thing. Yes, you have something in your heart about how a good and powerful God and evil and, and unjust living can come together and then something happens in your life. You have to doubt those doubts. You have to deconstruct your doubts. You can't just swallow them whole. 
There's always an honest and a dishonest part to our doubts, and we have to do the hard work of wrestling through them. He's saying, no, but you know, the first year of university, I read all these, these, these very atheistic books, and now I lost my faith. Yes, that's one part of it. But you also met that really nice and articulate atheist friend, and he was mocking Christianity. You don't want to look like an idiot. And you, you moved in with your boyfriend and started sleeping together, and now suddenly there's this incongruence in your faith. There's always an honest and a dishonest part to our doubts. You have to doubt, wrestle with your own doubts. But secondly, you have to enter the temple. Verse 17. It says, until I entered God's sanctuary, what do you do in the temple? You worship. Friends, if you did not get into this hole of doubt simply intellectually, you are not going to get out of it in the same way. If life and experiences brought you in there as well, the same will have to get you out. So what did he do in the temple? He worshiped. In a season of doubt, you don't need less of God and His people and His Word and His Spirit. You need more of it. Yes, read the books, have the conversations, go on you know, the, the trip overseas and investigate, but connect with the people of God. Pray, read, meditate, sit in His presence, seek God. It's not just a thinking issue, it's a life issue. And if you take it only as a thinking issue, you will not get out of it. 30 years, you have to compare footholds. Verse 18. He says, indeed, you put them, what, on slippery places. The psalmist is saying, every time you put your foot on a rock as you are hiking, what, you're putting your faith in that rock. So if that rock is sturdy, it's going to hold you. If it's, if it's just slippery, you are going to fall. What is he saying? There is no such thing as unbelieving in God, and that's it. No. If you don't believe in God, you believe in something else. You believe in your intellect. You believe in your sexuality. You believe in your worldview or your expression of your politics. You believe in something. And the psalmist is saying, when I saw that it was difficult to follow God, when I looked at the alternative, it was even worse. When I actually had to say, I'm going to live by my rational intellect alone, and then your father dies, it's worse. Now, evil and suffering, how will Christians explain evil? Explain it without God, it's even worse. He's saying, when I compared the alternative to God, I realized it's sometimes difficult to follow God, but I realized it's almost impossible to not follow Him. So the end he says, verse 25, what and who do I have in heaven but you? He says, these other people, I see them, they're living for beauty, they're living for money, they're living for success, but it's all faded. If I don't live for you, what I'm living for is fading away. It's tough to follow God. It's almost impossible to know. And finally, verse 33, reach for his hand. Reach for his hand. Verse 33 says, yet I'm always with you. You hold my right hand. You hold my right hand. See, when we truly wrestle with deep doubts, you know what actually happens? We realize we're afraid. I'm afraid of fully committing to God. With some question marks and some deep experiences, friends, when I got married, the morning of my wedding, I was super chilled about getting married. Until 3 o'clock that morning, suddenly I woke up like the undertaker and I sat up straight and I realized, oh my goodness, I'm getting 
married today. I'm committing myself to this beautiful woman forever. It's scary. If I'm honest about my doubts, it's scary to give my life to God. And the psalmist is saying, unless you know that this God will not abandon you and hold you, it will remain scary. So how do we know that? How do I know that he will not turn his face from me? Because he says, yet you hold me. He says, I was grieved, I was resentful, I acted like an animal, I was freaking out, and yet you held me, God. How do you know that you know that you know that God will do that? And it's in this simple fact. Is that there was a man called Jesus who lived the exemplary life that you and I should have lived. And yet God turned his face from him so that he would turn his face toward you. He let go of Jesus and let him stumble and let him fall so that you never have to fall. He let go of the hand of Jesus on the cross so that he can hold your hand even when you are in your place of doubt. That's why we often say the Sun Hillstone Cornerstone. It's actually it's from an old hymn called Solid Rock. And we have this line, when darkness, when 2020, when retrenchment, when death, when hurt, when pain seems to hide his face, well, I rest on his unchanging grace. The historical man, Jesus, is the reason I know that even in my doubts, God will hold me. We have to doubt our doubts. We've got to enter the temple. We've got to compare for holds. We have to reach out for the hand of God. Doubt does not have to break you. It can actually make you. Jesus, I just pray this morning that every single person who's got deep wounded in their heart this morning from this year, maybe from the last few years. But I pray that we would realize that the 31st of December is not going to solve this year. We have to go with these hearts and these lives into next year. So will you come and restore God? We want to wrestle with you, God. Pray in your presence. We want to stir ourselves up to know that in our doubts you are Pray for a heavy heart this morning to encounter the light yoke of Jesus.